Well, he is risen. And God is alive and well and working in everything. Well, today's Easter Sunday, and it's all about miracles. And so Pastor Ben and I wore ties. Uh, really, it's just silly. Anyway, you know, of all the miracles in the Bible, what we celebrate today is the biggest one. It is so radically important. No natural, logical explanation can be given for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It cannot stand the pressure of careful examination and questioning. It's an all-out miracle that out-miracles every miracle that ever was miracled. It's also the miracle that fuels our hope in a chaotic and broken world. It's the miracle that tells us death does not and will not have the last word. It is the miracle that reveals God's power and glory and goodness and redemption. It's the miracle that enables us to move forward in life, knowing that God is mighty to save. He is risen indeed. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, this amazing, powerful reality that Jesus is alive, interceding for us 24-7. And he will come again. Lord, that in your resurrection, all things began to be made new and we can have new life in you and ultimately you will make all things new. And so, Lord, in the tension of this in-between time, where we know that you are working to make all things new. And yet we see so much brokenness and devastation in our world. May we look at the resurrection today and find a hope that is unshakable because he lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, throughout the Bible, we find miracle after miracle after miracle, God is continually revealing his power and his glory. And in this great crescendo of intensity, it all builds to this crowning moment we celebrate today that Jesus rose from the dead. The question for us today is how do all these wonderful works of God, especially the resurrection of Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago, affect our lives and change our world today? We're going to start off with the definition of a miracle. This is from the Gospel Project, Essential Doctrine. A miracle is an event in which God makes exception to the natural order of things or supersedes natural laws for the purpose of demonstrating his glory and or validating his message. Miracles are recorded throughout Scripture. Miraculous signs and wonders are oftentimes evident when a prophet or an apostle was speaking God's message to the people. And because we believe God to be all-powerful and personally involved in the world, we believe he can and does perform miracles. But underline this reality. For the purpose 
of demonstrating his glory and validating his message. This morning we're going to look at three passages that that kind of flesh this out a bit and and make three points about the miracles of God. We're going to finish off Joshua, kind of a strange place you would think to start for, for Easter morning, but Joshua chapter 24, and then we'll look at some others. So if you want to turn in your Bible, Joshua 24, 14 to 18. It doesn't seem to fit Easter Sunday, does it? But here's the connection. Joshua and the people are is speaking to the people this last time, and he's asking them to respond to this question, or they're struggling with this question. How do we live, how are we going to live in relation to the God who has worked to save us, to bring us to himself, who has won victories over our enemies and brought us to a place of abundance and promise? Listen to Joshua 24, 14 to 18. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if this is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we will also serve the Lord, for he is our God. First point is that God's miracles draw people to himself. God's miracles draw people to himself. Notice the people's response in Joshua 24. God brought us up out of Egypt. God performed great and miraculous signs, and we saw them. God preserved us all through our journeys. God did the work of securing the land for us. And if we go back in the story of Exodus, remember the people cried out to God in their slavery, and God heard, and God responded, and God acted. When the people felt trapped and threatened at the Red Sea, God heard, and God responded, and God acted. And when the people complained and rebelled, even in their complaining and rebelling, God heard and responded and acted. That's the story of the exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wanderings, and the conquest from Canaan. All of them are about God's mighty acts of salvation, God responding to his people's plight, God taking the initiative to draw them to himself. And before a command was even given to the people of Israel, God said this in Exodus chapter 19, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. God heard, God responded, God acted. God's miracles draw people to himself. Later on to the rebellious nation of Israel, God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, 
Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. God works to draw people to himself. And he shows us who he is and his glory and his power so that people would know that he is there. God's miracles draw people to himself. They're a a revelation of his involvement in our lives and his presence in our pain. But the revelation of himself in drawing us to himself, there's a response that's needed, obedience, surrender. Notice the question that Joshua poses to the people. If it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. The light of all that God has done. How will you respond to him? The question remains today in view of all that God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ to live and to die, to rise again, to restore us to himself. How will you respond? You need to make a decision. J.C. Riley, who was a pastor from 1816 to 1900, or that's his lifespan, 1816 to 1900, said this. It costs something to be a true Christian. Let that never be forgotten. To be a mere nominal Christian and to go to church is cheap and easy work. But to hear Christ's voice, follow Christ, believe in Christ, confess Christ, requires much self-denial. It will cost us our sins and our self-righteousness and our ease and our worldliness. All, all must be given up. Our Lord Jesus Christ would have us thoroughly understand this. He bids us count the cost. Choose this day whom you will serve. God's miracles, the miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is there to draw people to himself How will you respond? Second, turn to Luke chapter 7. You have your Bibles. Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17. Very interesting miracle. Actually, there's, there's a number of, I mean, we could go to so many different passages on this, but Luke chapter 7, 11 to 17. Jesus is traveling and ministering. And here's what happens. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearers stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and the surrounding country. 
second idea today is that God's miracles bring him glory. God's miracles bring him glory. Now, interestingly, in this passage, we'll we'll notice a few things, but God doesn't do miracles just because we want them or need them. Think about it. If, If God responded to all of our needs in the world and all of our wants and all of our pain, there'd be a whole lot less stuff going on in the world right now, wouldn't there? God's purposes and the miracles are not arbitrary and nor can we demand them. In his sovereignty and eternal purposes, he acts in history for his purposes and his glory, not ours. Notice a few things in this passage. First, no one asked Jesus to do this. He simply acted out of compassion. And sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. Have we prayed enough? Did we pray the right prayer? Did we do the right things? And we act as if it's all up to us to make things happen. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray or that we shouldn't be desperately in prayer before God when things are going rough. But God in this case, Jesus in this case, no prayer was offered, no request was given. Jesus responded with compassion to a mother's grief and need, and he did so for his own purposes, and it brought God glory. Notice the result. They glorified God. A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. They kind of saw right through Jesus to the God who acted. But as with every other miracle that Jesus performed, and this is something we kind of need to remember sometimes, is there's an expiration date on some of this stuff. Yes, Jesus raised this man from the dead. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised the the ruler's daughter from the dead. But sooner or later, they would all die again. This weeping mother, who was now filled with joy, would one day pass away as well. And the son would bury his mother, and the son would also die. And the blind man that that Jesus healed and restored would one day close his eyes in death, and the deaf man's ears that were opened would cease to hear in this life. And the lame who could stand and walk again would get old and fragile, and eventually the body would give out. And the freedom that people expected the Messiah to bring was dashed to pieces when Jesus was arrested and nailed to the cross. But there was a bigger plan. Something beyond what people could see or understand about Jesus and his purposes. You see, every single one of Jesus' miracles was revealing something about who God is and what the mission of Jesus was all about. All of it was saying the effects of sin and decay in this broken world will be addressed, mended and healed and restored through Jesus Christ. The miracles pointed to something more. This is why John writes, these are the signs that reveal the glory. And they were just pointers and markers to what Jesus was all about and what God is ultimately going to do. And when Jesus rose from the dead in resurrection, this was not just, this was very different than a resuscitation of a corpse to continue life. He was raised incorruptible in a changed body, transformed. It was the greater miracle 
and the full, of the full and final resurrection that awaits all the people of God when Jesus returns. Jesus pointed repeatedly to this reality as he and his disciples traveled to Jerusalem. It was a revelation of the glory of God. God's miracles bring him glory. That's their purpose. We go back to that definition. A miracle is an event for the purpose of demonstrating his glory and validating his message. The disciples couldn't hear or see the greater message Jesus was proclaiming as they walked with him. It was not until Jesus rose from the dead that they really began to believe what he said. This is the third passage we'll go to. Uh, flip to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, 1 to 8. Our third point this morning is that God's miracles vindicate his words. God's miracles vindicate his words. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, don't be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Now, it's kind of an odd ending, but, you know, we dealt with that a few years ago when we went through the Gospel of Mark, so you can read back on that one. But in every one of the Gospel accounts, and this morning at the, at the uh, sunrise service, we actually read through all four Gospel accounts. Every single one of them, there's this group of women who go to the tomb of Jesus early in the morning for the express purpose of anointing Jesus' body for burial. They were not going to the tomb expecting to find it empty. There was no expectation that this was going to happen. They were going to anoint a corpse. And they were wondering, how are we going to get the stone out of the way? For them, Jesus was dead and the miracles were over. The best they could do now is honor him with a proper burial. And you see, Jesus had told them repeatedly he would die in Jerusalem. And here they were. But he also told them that he would rise again on the third day, but they didn't understand those words, nor did they expect the resurrection. The women were prepared to anoint a corpse and they were just wondering how the stone was going to be rolled away. Obviously, Jesus' disciples didn't think to go along with them. Interesting. Oh, they might need some help. Ah, no, they can handle it themselves. We're going to stay here. It's kind of early anyway. 
Guys are sleeping in. They're broken too. Devastated. The women are prepared to anoint a corpse. But then suddenly, everything they expected was turned upside down. The stone was gone. There's somebody in the tomb dressed in dazzling white and Jesus' body is gone. And the angel simply reminded them of what Jesus had been telling them for weeks. He is risen. He is not here, just as he told you. This miracle vindicates the words of Jesus. Jesus' resurrection is the greatest miracle of all time. It cannot be outdone ever, nor can it be explained away, though many have tried for thousands of years. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us how critical this truth is. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no hope for the world. Our faith in Jesus is futile, and all the religions of the world, we would be the most deceived people of all if Jesus did not rise from the dead. And so this is a decision point. Jesus rose from the dead. Nothing else can explain the radical change in the disciples. Nothing else can explain why Roman and Jewish powers who had all the power in the world at the time could not produce the dead body and had to resort to fabricating an explanation. Nothing else can really stand up to honest historical scrutiny of the evidence. Therefore, because Jesus rose from the dead, everything he said and did is true. God's miracles vindicate his words. His word has been vindicated by the resurrection itself. Just as the people in Joshua 24, we must respond to the evidence. If God has truly acted in history, if we have truly seen the compassion of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, then we must make a decision. Will we put aside all other ways of living and viewing the world and follow him or not? As the people of Nain who witnessed a great miracle of a son being restored to his widowed mother, removing her grief and providing for her life, will we glorify God and worship him with thanksgiving and awe or not? And as the woman at the tomb will we declare to others the wondrous truth that he is alive. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you have acted in history in a mighty way. We can look back on the history of the Exodus and know that, that you worked to free your people from Egypt.
Lord, we can look at the amazing journey of your people throughout the ups and downs of following you and not, and know that you have preserved a people for yourself. The Lord, today we stand with these women at the empty tomb. Will we believe it or not? If the dead are not raised and Christ is not raised and you are still in your sins and your faith is futile. But if Jesus rose from the dead, then that changes everything. It shows us the glory of God. It vindicates his word. And it draws us to you. And we have to make a choice. And so, Father, today I pray that we would respond to your drawing person. That, Lord, if there are doubts or if there are challenges or if there are anything like that, Lord, that we would pursue it relentlessly and come away amazed. Lord, that you would renew our sense of awe and wonder and worship. Because ultimately this isn't about just getting facts right. It's about turning and encountering the risen Lord Jesus who was raised incorruptible. Lord, as we read in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says, I delivered unto you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, to one untimely born, he appeared to me. Lord, thank you that you have vindicated your word, that you have revealed your glory, and that through all of this, you are drawing people to yourself, even right now. So, Father, may we respond as the people in Joshua's day respond. And may we respond as Peter responded in John chapter 6 when Jesus gave a very difficult teaching. And Peter responded, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. So, Father, may we this day simply turn to you in simple faith and say, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Thank you for all that you've done in Jesus Christ. 
Open our hearts to worship you and to surrender to you. For it is in Jesus' name, in his risen power we pray. Amen.